I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Bob Wilbur, author of How Far? A Tale of Determination, DNA, and Drama. As the son of a major league baseball player and a former baseball player himself, author Bob Wilbur drew upon his own background to tell us a story that is just as much about the game of life as it is about sports. He writes in the distinct first-person voices of the two main characters, gifted baseball player Brooks Bennett from Southern California and undersized hockey player Eric Olson from Minnesota to immerse readers in every thought and emotion of the two main characters. Set against the backdrop of real places, real events, and familiar names, he follows the characters as they each navigate the triumphs and heartaches of reaching the pinnacles of their respective sports. He brings us a story that will appeal to sports fans as well as anyone who appreciates an inspiring story of personal growth and perseverance. Bob is the son of Major League player Dell Wilbur and has played in minor league baseball for the Detroit Tigers and the Oakland A's. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Bob. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Well, as you've said in the, in, in the intro, uh, this isn't just a story about sports. Uh, this is a story about that is a general story that we can all learn from how to persevere and relate and the relationship between these two characters in the story um, and all the emotions that they experience. But why isn't it a story just about sports? What? Do- well, uh, I, the way I look at it and the way I've always described it since uh, the day I began writing until right the second is that it is a life book about challenges and overcoming obstacles and dealing with all the curves, no no pun intended, that life throws at you, just seen through a sports lens, right? So uh, my two characters who are fictional um, are, are athletes. Uh, that's, that's the world I grew up in and know. So um, I'm kind of a firm believer in writing what you know and writing what you're totally locked in and familiar with. And... Uh, but it's really about what it takes to overcome all the challenges and reach for your greatest potential while knowing that things aren't always going to go perfectly. Which I think most of us do know that things don't always go perfectly, but I guess it's how we handle those things that don't go perfectly. How do, what do we, uh, I mean, how are we able to, to not just survive, but to thrive, I always say. We don't want to just survive, but we do want to thrive. We want to evolve. Can you relate any, which character do you relate to the most in terms of your own personality, your own experiences? Well, gold medal to you. That's the first time anyone's asked me this. (laughs) (laughs) I've done hundreds of these interviews and no one said, which one do you you most relate to? Um, There's a lot of me in both of them. I never played hockey. Uh, one of my characters is a hockey player uh, from a little town in northern Minnesota that really exists and and really is a kind of a phenomenal place in terms of producing uh, world-class hockey players, even though there's only 2,600 people in little Roseau, Minnesota. The other is a baseball player from Southern California. I played, I'm not from Southern California. I, I'm born and raised in St. Louis as the son of a cardinal, but um but I sure knew a lot of guys from Southern California because that's a hotbed for baseball. So uh, I relate to both of them 
and I juxtapose them as characters to be uh, one who is gifted from day one uh, and has to deal with you know, how, how things can twist and turn, if, even though you seem to be destined for greatness. And the other one has to overcome literally every day of his athletic life and his personal life has to overcome probably not being the perfect specimen for what he ended up doing. So, um, and the fact that I can interweave these two characters in the book, once I have them meet, uh, is kind of a yin and yang of, of both sides of that equation of how do you handle that? And, um, I, it was a joy to write. And I, I put those characters in my brain and let them write the story. And I'm not kidding. I mean, that's the way it was for me. It was, I, I did an outline when I started the book. I threw it away about 15 pages in and said, no, these guys are going to tell me the story. They're going to tell me what to write. And, uh, and that's what I did. So how do you overcome that frustration? I mean, I hear that from many different authors. They write the story three or four times. I had actually interviewed somebody who wrote it 15 times. Like, how do you not get, just take it from the point of view of, of writing this story. Like, yeah, you have to keep writing it over and over and persevere. And how do you get the strength to do that? You just don't want to get so frustrated. Well, you're just uh, done with this, you know. Or, yeah. Another brilliant question. I, I want to do your <laughs> show like every day. Okay, great. <laughs> These are great questions. Um, Thank you. I, I didn't I didn't stack up against that. I, I, um, I had them in my head. Uh, I written my first book, which was my autobiography, um, like three years earlier. And I said, now it's time for something different. What am I going to do? And I picked the, the biggest challenge I could think of, which was to shift from writing about myself to, you know, write, creating fictional characters, but putting them in real world experiences. So technically the book is historical fiction because it's about real places, real things, real teams, real teammates. Uh, real, real everything except the characters and their families, because you can't have fictional characters without making their families fictional. Um, but, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I, I felt so much empathy with both of them that I, I, I wrote this book straight through. I mean, I, obviously I have a style editor who, who is wonderful and, and really supportive through both books with me. And, um, you know, from time to time, yeah, we get back on the rails again if I if I get a little off. But um, no, nah, there was never a moment when I said, no, I'm going to ditch this and do it again. Uh, they spoke to me. Uh, I know it sounds like I'm insane, but no, indeed, I had their voices in my head. I knew exactly how they sounded. I knew exactly what they looked like uh, and just let it go from there. And the whole thing was very organic. It just uh, any given morning, I would sit down and write and, and think to myself, okay, guys, where are we going? And they would tell me. What about, and this was, I think, the last sentence that I mentioned when I was reading your intro. Uh, this, you're the son of a major league player, Del Wilbur. Now, people who grow up with uh, well-known parents, uh, I'm not saying necessarily that he was a celebrity, but that's a lot of pressure. And you didn't become a major league player, but you played in the minor leagues. So how, talk to us about that, the relationship with your father and how all of this evolved, writing, I think what you majored, I think you majored in journalism in college, but um, yeah, the relationship with your father, I'm interested in that. 
Yeah, I'm interested in it too. <laughs> About every day of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, my dad, he was a celebrity. Um, uh, well, you play in the big leagues, especially in a town like St. Louis for the Cardinals. And then he played for the Phillies and Red Sox after that. Um, uh, Ted Williams was one of his best friends in baseball. So I often say that if the if there was a knock on the door in our house in suburban Kirkwood, Missouri, that it wasn't likely, but it was fully possible that it might be Stan Musial. I mean, he just that's the world I grew up in. But I'm as much, if not slightly more, of my mom than I am of my dad. Uh, yeah, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I wanted to play in the big leagues. Uh, I didn't get that far, but I got a wonderful college education out of it on full scholarship uh, and did get to play and every two weeks got a paycheck for it, which is kind of astounding when you look at the big picture of life that they're paying you to play a game. Um, but my mom was a fabulous communicator uh, and and just a barrier breaker from day one in her life, I think. She just... Um, you know, she had her own radio show on KMOX in St. Louis, which is one of the biggest stations in the country. Um, she she went on to work for the St. Louis Cardinals um, as a um, a director of women and children's activities, which they had never done before. And no woman had ever been a director uh, for the Cardinals until that moment when they hired her. Um, and she just inspired me with her work and her dedication and her communication skills. Um, so had I had a little bit more of my dad DNA, maybe I'd have played the big leagues, but I'm not going to swap that out for anything because having so much of my mom's skills in my blood, that's what got me here. So you grew up in a really high powered family. I mean, both your mother, both and your father. What about siblings? Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. My oldest brother went on to a, um, a professional baseball career uh, and would have probably played in the big leagues, but uh, that was Vietnam, and the Army kind of caught up with him, and he had to go do that for a year. He, did, he never went to Vietnam, but um, they, they they plucked him and said, you, you've got to uh, do this for us, and so he did. I've <laughs> um, uh, got a second brother who has written, I don't know, probably 20 science fiction books. Uh, i got a sister... Cindy, who who wrote a book about baseball and tapped into all of my dad's network of friends to write it called For Love of the Game. Uh, my sister Mary and I are what we call Irish twins, um, but we are 11 months apart. I'm the youngest uh, by 11 months, and, uh, and and we're kind of we are kind of like twins. We we know each other's thoughts. We we finish each other's sentences, even though we're 11 months apart. But our whole family uh, was full of communicators and writers um, and athletes, right? So that, that it, they're a combination of my folks, and and that's phenomenal. I have a nephew, Del Wilbur III, who's written two New York Times bestsellers. So uh, being published and being an author is not strange in the Wilbur family. So communicators, writers, and athletes, of which you are all three, um, this is your first wor uh, work of fiction, Right. The other was an, an autobiography. Um, those are very different, right? I mean, writing an autobiography and then writing a book of fiction. Uh, was it the same process? Uh, talk to us about that. Well, the, the formulation of it was obviously entirely different. I, once the autobiography was written, published and released, uh, you know, it went very well. It went beyond my wildest expectations of how it would sell or the reviews it would get. 
but it was like I, I I did that for a year and and then publicized that book for a year and went on tour and signed books and then it was like what's next I got to do something that's totally different than this I I want to stretch out just like I did you know I spent 22 years in professional drag racing we haven't talked about that no. but as a as a public relations guy you know, representing my my celebrities which were my drivers uh, and I, I retired from that in order to become an author and uh, at the age of 60 and now I'm 66, but it was, what's the next big challenge? And, and there was some inspiration from a, a historical fiction book that a few of them that I had read that that's a really interesting genre that you're taking real life things, but putting your fictional characters in there and how would they fit in, into that factual world? And, uh, it was a thrill. I mean, I, I, I don't remember a day I didn't get up thinking, where are we going today? What's going to happen to these guys? I, I've kept every single file I made on them as their characters and their, their background because I feel like I know them, and I, I'll never throw those thick files away of all, all the things I researched and, and wrote about them. Um, so did I know I could do it? No, I had no clue. I had no idea if I could succeed at this or would embarrass myself. But uh, son of a gun, people like it. So that's wonderful. You know, Bob, I'm thinking about all these baby boomers. Uh, and, uh, well, there's a 20-year period of baby boomers, but who turned 60, 65. And they can't figure out what to do with themselves. I mean, some go to Florida. I don't know if they still sit on the porch in the rocking chair. Maybe not quite that. But what's the difference between them and you? How do you do, well, how, how do you see, how are you able to do this? Okay, you've, you've, done so many things and been very successful at them. And then when one thing is finished, you go on to next and you create something new. Yeah. Like we need to hear that. Oh. <laughs> well, I need to, I need to get my arms wrapped around it myself. I think I, it's just, uh, it's inbred in me, you know, I mean, I, I, I never really saw retirement from the working world, which was, um, a, a very tough business I was in and, and a lot of travel and, nonstop, go, 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 go. I never, I never, I never saw retirement as being feed up on the porch in Florida. I never saw that. And, and of course, by the very fact that I live in Minnesota and love it here, that's not Florida. So, um, I don't know. It, it's just, uh, what's next? What can I do using the talents that are within me? Right. Um, uh, I wasn't going to, I was never going to be a movie star. I'm not, I'm never going to be a TV anchorman. Uh, but I can be a writer and, uh, I can be an author and those gifts are given to me by the DNA that's in me, uh, from both my parents. And, uh, it was, I've just never hesitated to plow forward, do the next big thing, try it. You know, if you fail, you fail. Uh, I think sometimes failure is is way more important than success because success can often be just luck, just kind of dressed up like success. But failure teaches you a few lessons. And, and throughout my wild and wacky career, I've, I've certainly done uh, some stuff that worked great and some stuff that didn't pan out. And But this, this plunge into uh, writing books, uh, I'm pretty damn proud that I did it. And here we are. Well, and failure creates opportunity. I mean, that... Uh, 
I hear that from a lot of people like yourself who are successful and go on and evolve. But you talk about DNA. A lot of people do have the DNA, but they don't actually do something with it. I, I keep getting back to that. Yes, they have a certain talent or they yeah. may be creative, but they get stuck and they they can't seem to move forward. So um, it's, it's not just the DNA. It, it's something else that you have. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and it, again... Million-dollar question. No one's asked me that before. Um, I would say it's a little certain bit of fearlessness. And sometimes fearlessness can, can also be like just dressed up as being naive or being, being hopeful that you can just go do what you want. Um, I don't think I would be sitting here talking to you right now if I didn't have the skills and the tools uh, to transition into being an author. Um, but I had to have that fearlessness of giving it a try. Uh, and and I, I can't explain why some people get, I don't know, cold feet or don't have their own confidence enough to, to go do something as audacious as I did, which was, you know, here I am, a, a well-respected PR person for 22 years writing press releases 15 times a month, you know, uh, to, to I'm going to write this all down and be an author. Uh, I don't know which parent I got that from, but I've never shied away from anything like that. I'd say half the jobs I've held in my life were almost decided on a whim instead of on research and study and overthinking. So move forward, try it, do it. Uh, If it works out, uh, it's wonderful. It's spectacular. Fearlessness, that word. I haven't heard that before. So fearlessness is like risk-taking, but a little bit different. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I mean, you know, it's not risk-taking like uh, some extreme sport athlete who's, you know, risking death every, <laughs> every time he does a stunt. It's, it's fearlessness in that it'll be okay if this doesn't work out. Um, but I have to go do this. This is what I'm meant to do. Um, you know, I, I was 60 by the time I retired. I'd spent 60 years on this planet just do, doing whatever jobs felt right to me, but never thinking I could jump out here and literally put myself on display and 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 just jump into something as a, like I, I love the word audacious because I think that's what I was. I was just foolishly audacious enough to think I can do this, and um, it's worked out. Audacious. Who has helped you? To be able, I mean, I'm assuming there have to be people in your life. Uh, you said your your sister, obviously, it seems that relationship helps you to move forward. But uh, are there any people that you would describe as mentors, people that along the way have helped you to um, to go forward to? Yeah. Yeah. No, th- there's more than a few. Um, I do have a style editor. It's funny, when I was spending 22 years in professional drag racing, he was a reporter who covered professional drag racing uh, and, and now is an executive editor of three newspapers. But as a passion, he's been with me, uh, steering me, uh, giving me advice. I, I, I've written two books now, and both of them are on I, – I wrote on Google Docs so that Greg himself, his name is Greg Halling, um, could be there with me, literally uh, catching stuff and and pointing me in different directions live as I wrote, even though we were a thousand miles apart. 
So a huge mentor. Uh, and there's been many others, editors, writers, PR people who I looked at and thought, yeah, that's, that's the way you do this. And, uh, I, and whether it was overt uh, help or I just something I soaked up by osmosis, uh, I'm, I'm nothing without all these mentors of mine. And I try to be a mentor myself because that's kind of giving it back to the universe after, <laughs> after g- gaining so much from people who were so gracious to me and so helpful. What were you doing during COVID? Because I talked to many people, maybe even most people, they were depressed, they were upset, they couldn't do anything, they were uh, a lot of different kind of negative reactions, obviously, uh, I'm saying being in quarantine, uh, quarantine for a year. What were you doing? That's so funny. You're just, you're just knocking this out of the park with these questions. <laughs> I, am, uh, I, I am not a guy who is personally averse to just having a nice quiet day. So in a lot of ways, the quarantine part was, was right up my alley. It, it allowed me to just focus on what was in my head instead of all the stuff I got to go do. Um, uh, both my wife and I did not really have any problem with it because we just, we just uh, ensconced ourselves in home and, and did what we had to do to get out there and get food. But neither one of us was going stir crazy. Um, at the time, my wife is retired now, but she she was an executive uh, in finance for a number of companies, and they just went on totally remote, right? So she went to work every day, but it was here in the house, and uh, and I sat down at my laptop and looked at it and said, "What am I going to write?" And it was I thought it was we were very very fortunate to get all the shots and all the boosters, and neither one of us has ever gotten it. And I'm knocking on wood as I say that because I think it's it's back in some new variations that we all ought to be a little worried about, but, um, uh, you know, we got through it and, uh, and, and it wasn't really that big of a challenge to us. I thought it was very peaceful. So that was your time out or it was, it was <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I think that just that new variation, I get boosted, I guess every six months and I, I assume that's going to continue. That should be helpful. I think so. Right. So I know people have asked you this question, but what's next in terms of uh, your writing next book? Anything you can share with us? Uh, yeah, um, and nothing firm, um, but there there will be a third and there will be probably a fourth, fifth and sixth as long as I can sit there and my fingers still work on the keyboard. But uh, I am getting a lot of suggestions from people that I ended this book even though it's a 545-page book, I ended it at the end of these two characters' careers, but not at the end of their lives. And there's another book there. There's the sequel of them becoming parents and them having children who are, uh, you know, part of their DNA um, and see how where that goes. And I'm not opposed to that. It's, it's certainly one of the options on my uh on my plate right now is is to just take these characters a little bit further into being you know, you know the book is all about them starting as kids with their parents being such a big influence on them how about let's see how they are in terms of the kids that they'll have so that's out there um other than that, that I, I always i always have a hundred ideas spinning around in my head but i haven't landed on one yet it's like wheel of fortune 
We need to know where it's going to stop. That sounds like a, I mean, that book, you know, continuing with the generations. Uh, How about a a Netflix uh, series? Like, because then you have the different seasons and episodes. Well, you know, if you're, you have such great questions, I'm wondering if you're not connected and get me hooked up with that. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I wish I could. Everybody who's read How Far has said, when is this going to be a series? When is this going to be a 10 part miniseries? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I mean, I, that's, I, I was uh, a newbie in the world of authorship. Now you're wanting me to somehow sell this as a story yes, to be on right. TV. I, I don't know, but it certainly fits itself into that absolute genre. And I think it would be very successful, but you know, we're nosing around a little bit. I've got my PR agency kind of looking into screenwriters and producers and uh, if it happens, it happens. I would love for it to happen. Although I know going in that they would take my book and I probably wouldn't recognize it when I got yeah. to the screen, but, uh, but that's how it goes, you know? So I'm glad I wrote it. And if anybody wants to see it that way, I'm all for it. You're ready to go. We have a couple minutes left. So, um, give us a website and or websites to go to for more information about the book, about the book that, yeah. Yeah. Um, how far uh, a tale of determination dna and drama i have my own website uh, i have to spell this out because people tend to spell my last name wrong it's uh it's bobwilber.net and that's b o b w i l b e r i am not orville Wright's brother and i didn't own mr ed i'm <laughs> i'm not a wilbur with a u r so bobwilber.net b o b w i l b e r the books are available there via uh, Amazon. The, you click on the button, it takes you right to the sales page at Amazon. Uh, right. My full bio is there, all my background, some fun photos, uh, and other stuff like that. So that's the way to get in touch, and that's you can write me there, and uh, and and that's the way to uh, to get to take a look at the books and read the reviews, and uh, and hopefully be interested in buying them. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was really great talking to you, Catherine. Wonderful talking to you. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 